Mind if I ask you a personal question? Maybe. Um, you're a friend of mine who doesn't exactly come around too often, but does it look like I've lost weight? Uh, I can't tell. Did you weigh yourself before and after the the period of time? I have no idea. I don't own a scale, and I haven't weighed myself in years. But at least it doesn't look like I'm getting bigger, right? I would agree with that statement. Yes. Woohoo! This is Control Structure, episode 108, for May 17th, 2016. Big week for to everyone listening, this show has notes. Visit thenexus.tv slash cs108 to see them. I am your host, Stephen Orvis, and with me is the other host, Andrew Bailey. So, did you actually expect me to ask a question about you? That was what you implied. <laughs> it was a personal question, though, when I think about it. Yes. So, uh, like, I kind of realized that, and like, I realized that, like, several uh, days ago, and I'm like, you know, why don't you just lead with that? Just, to, like, throw people off track. <laughs> totally make, <laughs> make them be in a different mindset and be like, wait a second. <laughs> It's a personal question. I didn't ask whose personal question. <laughs> it definitely is a personal question. So, uh, have you tried it at many different people and have any interesting responses? Uh, pretty much every woman I ask says, yes, I have lost weight. Okay. With, come to think of it, without exception. Without exception. So, probably you have. It's just that I didn't put a number in my mind. Oh, Andrew Bailey weighs X number of pounds. Next time I say, like, Huh, he must weigh three pounds less. So, yeah. Um, and, you know, all the guys in my life, including myself, can't really tell. <laughs> because, because, like, I only really notice somewhat drastic changes. Yes. So, like, whenever I look in the mirror, like, I haven't really changed that much since the last time I saw myself. Which... I understand uh, a few years back I lost a fair amount of weight when I stopped eating frozen pizzas <laughs> and I had been weighing myself through at the time so I could on the graph see a obvious change however uh, I couldn't really look in the mirror and see a change but then I did have someone at work mention that they thought that I had lost a lot of weight they were in a weight loss competition too and they were kind of upset that apparently I was beating them in that aspect a woman? It was a man. Okay. He's just a little more into food and, like, healthy eating and, uh, just a personality that likes a natural way for yeah. health supplements. That, that personality yeah. type. The, the only, like, big difference I've ever noticed about myself was about a month or two after I had started doing push-ups every night, because suddenly, like, my shoulders and chest looked a lot more meaty. And like wider and like a little bit, a little bit more buff. So, uh, so you know, I've been riding around on my bike uh, as much as I can. Although last week wasn't exactly good for that because it was kind of rainy. Yeah. Um, and also walking to the tea and taking the tea to work and walking from the tea to work and uh, in reverse uh, again. Uh, so that you know again helps with the exercise. 
So, uh, yeah, I think by the end of summer, uh, some big changes might be in store. I would say that's quite possible. The scalp thing might be interesting. You could do like a graph and, and stuff if, if you actually wanted measurable results rather than opinions. Otherwise, at the end of the summer, when you ask me, I'll probably be like, you look way fatter, Andrew. <laughs> and uh, you won't have a baseline to disagree with me, so you will have to wait, take... Wait, fatter or bigger? Bigger? Because, you know, I might not be losing weight, but I might be gaining muscle. The, the implication being, when it's opinion, it's subjective to whatever I care to say, and not factual, <laughs> and cannot be backed up. It's always about you. It is always. (laughs) I can choose to perceive you any way I wish to perceive you. You're mean. (laughs) What my opinions? You asked for them. So, um, yeah, uh, yeah, it was uh, last night, last evening, I guess, because the sun was still up. Uh, So, last evening I rode about 10 or 11 miles, and, uh, I sort of looked at my uh, my phone, like both, you know, when I soon after I started and soon after I ended, and it took even with a small break that is a rest because you took that the wrong way the first time I said it. I thought he was actually breaking. So with a small rest, it took about an hour to ride like ten or eleven miles. So so okay. So if we we'll give you we'll give you eleven miles. Okay, like an hour. So you average eleven miles an yeah. hour. Okay, that was easier math and didn't even require Google. So. <laughs> Unlike what I thought at first. <laughs> Surprise! Surprise! So yeah, that's that's pretty good speed on a bike. So yeah, it's definitely a. Uh, uh, I think I found a good uh, way of exercising. So, yes. that I rather enjoy. Bike riding is very fun. That probably, to me, would be one of my top three favorite exercise ways. Um, and, and along with the uh, fancy pants, it doesn't hurt as much. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, apparently today is our good friend Christopher Bauhoff's birthday. Happy birthday, Happy birthday, Bauhoff. Uh, so... Uh, yeah, it was, uh, last, this past Sunday at church that his mom, uh, well, family, I guess, decided to get him an ice cream, uh, cake and, uh, dress it all out, all up with the photo of him and Elsa because this cake is frozen, uh, and, uh, pretty much surprised him during the Sunday school class that he was teaching and, uh, pretty much gave, uh, away pieces of ice cream cake to the entire church. Sounds like a tasty situation. Yes, and uh, Chris was kind of reluctant to go into like the main auditorium, you know, with his mom saying, you know, today's Chris's birthday and stuff. He's like, oh, no, no, Chris, come on, it's okay, it's okay, and like tapping him on his shoulders, you know, they would be like up here because he's like a giant. <laughs> <laughs> I I can see it now. <laughs> so uh, yeah. That was pretty cool. So, and uh, it looks like uh, Rachel and Zach, uh, you know, ice creamed themselves. So, um, then, uh, yeah, you're interested in infrared cameras. Uh, I am. Uh, so, there's this guy made a camera that basically is a 
box hole camera with like a scanner inside. Yes. Which is super clever. Uh, but he's going through and he's trying different types of sensors that can read infrared light and other various light waves. Uh, so, so the idea is is that since you know, like lenses that will pass through infrared light, um, they're kind of you know expensive and not easily gotten, or maybe maybe not expensive, but they're not easily had until recently. So. He, you know, essentially did a pinhole camera and put a scanner inside and put a IR sensitive diode on the scanner and he would scan it back and forth. And, you know, he noticed that, you know, there was a lot of noise in this, uh, the output image. So he figured out, he was like, oh, just put it in a Faraday cage or build one around everything. So, uh, yeah, he uh, eventually does... Was it near infrared, medium infrared, and short infrared? It's really cool concept, and I like how he built it. He even used three D printed parts uh, uh, later stages. on. Later yeah. on, yes. His uh, he has one. I forget light wave length that would have been, but his rocket engine catcher one for airplanes. yeah. It was yeah. It was the medium wave uh, IR that uh he ran into like some export restrictions and they and like the manufacturer wanted a whole bunch of paperwork to prove that he wasn't you know building you know nukes or missiles because apparently like this photodiode will pick up the exhaust of jet fighters really easy <laughs> but because he lives in Russia they have a whole bunch of you know questionable stuff lying around <laughs> sure build as many as you want so uh he was able to get a soldering iron to glow pretty brightly looks really amazing so and then he uh you know takes some photos outdoors and it, it really looks very bleak and depressing sort of like russia <laughs> surprise surprise it, it surprise ac- it actually is it actually is so uh yeah that was pretty cool it is i like that Now for this week's LOL Apple. <laughs> so, uh, you're an uh, Apple uh, proselyte, I'd say. Well, not actually proselyte. you. Uh, like someone who's like really enthused, like a fanboy. Of Apple? Yeah. Not not you, but anyone listening. Like hypothetical oh, you. Oh, hypothetical you. Okay, go for it. So, uh, you're like, oh, yay, Apple Music. Uh, you know, like, I don't have to, you know, put my money towards, you know, companies that I may not like as much. So, you get Apple Music. And, uh, you know, because, you know, you're streaming everything, why would you ever want to have your local music for? I have no idea why. Because it apparently deletes all the music off your computer because you stream everything. Because you have an Apple Music subscription. All the music you could ever want. 
and it even goes through your music and uploads the stuff that it doesn't have. Uh, but that's you know, it tries to match what Apple Music has to what you have, and sort of does a loose match. You know, there might be a little bit differences in compression. You know, you know because you know lossy formats aren't exactly bit. Identical. Or you might have an extended edition that has a little more stuff in it, and they might not. Yeah, so they'll they'll just give you the cut down crappy version, uh, and uh, if it's your original work, well, they'll take that too and delete the original. Like even if it's a lossless, uh, you know, file, it doesn't care. No. You know, and it doesn't care that you know. Oh, you're the only person in the world that has this. So, yeah, it literally steals your music. And then the best part is, when you cancel your subscription, and then realize all of your music is gone, you can't get it back. And it is that, it is that reason, it is for this very reason, and, you know, reasons, situations like these, that you need to observe International Backup Awareness Day. So... Like, it would be kind of evil if, you know, because uh, Apple Mac systems now have, like, their built-in time machine backups. If Apple Music actually got into those backups <laughs> and deleted the music from <laughs> there. That would be kind of that, that would be evil. So, yeah, you go ahead and contact customer service after reading the forums and finding other people who, uh, you know, have your problem. And the only suggestion that they, you know, tell you to do is to not have Apple Music subscriptions anymore. Which is pretty ironic. So, I just had a light bulb moment. So, uh, remember how we said that uh, Microsoft is the new Google and Google is the new Microsoft? Yeah. I guess Apple is now the new Microsoft? No. Apple is kind of the old Apple. Uh, so... They have... Didn't they delete something recently? Wasn't there some issue with the update manager deleted things? So maybe this is just the continuation that, of the core update. That was... And, that was Adobe. It was Adobe, okay. On right. Max. But, um... Let's see. Have you ever read the essay, In the Beginning Was the Command Line? I have never read the essay. Okay. So, uh, this essay you know, describes the computing environment of the late 90s. It, you know, compares Windows to the, uh, you know, like, Soviet bloc, you know, housing. You know, ugly, but for some reason everyone wants to live there. Uh, there's uh, Linux, which is like a whole group of yurts, you know, with tanks by the road, and anyone can just come up and drop in one and take one away. <laughs> um, uh, you know what BOS is? Uh, yes. You ever heard of that? Yeah. So apparently BOS is uh, a Batmobile. <laughs> you know, it's really cool and awesome, but you've never seen one. <laughs> uh, and Apple uh, sells hermetically sealed cars. Or rather, like, cars with, like, people in them being in, like, hermetically sealed comfort. Uh-huh. And, uh, like, the guy who wrote this, you know, in, like, a few years sort of, like, said that it was sort of outdated because Apple had released OS X. Like, this was, like, the old, old Mac OS. What did OS X uh, bring to the table? 
like a whole bunch of improvements. Uh, it was kind of like the transition from like Windows 95 to XP. Okay. Uh, so, uh, but even then, like the metaphor of Apple being like hermetically sealed boxes sticks with me to this day. I would say, I mean, that is your traditional Mac user. He's either, sorry, really dumb or really smart. Like, I don't really find the in-between Mac user. Yeah, so, yeah, the point is, like, you don't really know what it's doing, and you can't get inside it to even figure out what it's, you know, trying to do. Yep. Like, I'm not advocating, like, Stallman open source everything. Like, like even like a sort of like a breakdown of, like, you know, Oh, it you know it processes processes your data like this, and this is like the workflow. Like it doesn't even do that. It's just a sealed box that you can't pry open. When things break, well, you know, sorry, you can just cancel your subscription. So uh, thankfully, this guy did observe International Backup Awareness Day beforehand and was able to restore all of his original music. I think the best part about this is the agents are. Telling them to just cancel your subscription, and then your problem is solved. And uh, apparently, uh, the customer service rep explained that I should blow off these dismissive solutions offered online because Apple employees don't officially use the forums. Evidently, that honor is reserved for lost, frustrated people like me. So what are the dismissive solutions they were offered? Uh, let's see. Da, da, da. Simply said that they had mislocated the files. Uh, doesn't actually say. It was, uh, that was the, all I had seen was it saw like no one believed them and it was disbelief that Apple would do such a thing. Yeah. So, uh, Backblaze has been driving for one billion hours across all of their hard drives. Um, so this, they've released the, uh, drive health report for, uh, the first quarter of this year, uh, so that's like from January until like April first or so. Um, so with this, I never really realized how few Western digital drives they actually have. Uh, most of them are the uh, like a Seagate four terabyte model. So like they have uh, was it yeah it was it is their most popular model. By far, 34,000 some. Uh, so, 34,729 drives uh, with 198 failures for an annual failure rate of 2.5%, which isn't that bad. It doesn't sound that bad, actually. So, you know, given the huge sample size that, uh, you know, I'd say, you know, especially being run in an enterprise. Uh, environment with a whole bunch of drives packed into a small space in racks that it that is kind of a less than ideal environment so i wonder what the critical because i'm looking at the numbers here so you have what the 2.8 million of the seagate drives and then you pop up and say look at the 2.8 million drive days drive days okay i was looking at the wrong one um it's this so one. the drive got 34,000. yep there you go that's a better number. Anyways, and then you pop up and say, look at... Well, actually, I think drive days is the stat that I'm, I care about in this comment. So so the drive days, 2.8 million versus, say, the one up above there. The, I think it's a Hitachi one, I think. 
the HGST. Yeah. So it has say that bottom one there, the eight terabyte one, has four thousand something, has zero failure rates. I wonder what the critical mass is before you in that mass the critical number is before you start getting realistic numbers, because it feels like these lower numbers, your failure rate may be skewed and not yeah. quite appropriate. Whereas when you get up to that two some million drive days that feels like you should be hitting a place where it's actually a decent statistic yeah so and also like the actual count of drives because uh, let's see here this one toshiba drive they have 47 of them and they have had one failure for an annual really bad failure (laughs) yeah for like 8.6 percent but that's not really a fair statistic because one's not much either way but the sample size was way too small so uh let's see then they break it out by years and they break it out even by more uh hours in service by manufacturer uh about 51% Hitachi and 45% Seagate and 3.4% Western Digital but then Western Digital now owns Hitachi so so technically it's all Western Digital now but you know like actual Western Digital branded drives yep. aren't that much so hours in service by drive size, you can see four terabytes is like by far the most. So, and as you can see, the improved reliability of that single drive model has driven down Seagate's failure rates to well below Western Digital's. So, and like even then, Western Digital's you know failure rates might not be exactly that good because the sample size is like less than ten percent of the Seagate. So was there a specific drive model then that suddenly did a lot better with the Seagate? Uh, they got rid of, uh, let's see, which one was it? Yeah, the 1.5 terabyte Seagates, uh, which, you know, had like 10% failure rate over one year. Yeah. So it looks like they've even knocked that down to, yeah, just 45 drives now. So, Yeah. And, uh, like, I remember back when, like, all those Thailand floods hit. Yes. That they were actually buying external drives and taking the drives out. I remember reading about that. Yeah. Like, all those drives are now out of the system. Hmm. I remember they showed, like, pictures of shopping carts and they just go to, like, say, Walmart. And just buy every drive they have. <laughs> so, uh, hey, speaking about uh, Western Digital, they have completed their acquisition of SanDisk. So now Western Digital is also a solid-state drive manufacturer and flash memory vendor. It's kind of interesting. I was just thinking quality-wise perceptions. My perception, not saying it's founded. My perception is that SanDisk is pretty good for its quality. But my perception is that Western Digital is more middle of the road. And so now I'm not sure how that's what well, to trust San- SanDisk with anymore. Well, all of the Western Digital drives that I've had have performed really well. See, I've actually have had some, and they... Because they're cheaper, so... Yeah. And they seem like they do decent. Yeah, I'm, I'm more of a Western Digital guy than a Seagate guy. Um, as for SanDisk, you know, like, all the products perform as they should. I don't have that many complaints. I've not been blown away, but no complaints. Yeah. So... And uh, I believe the solid-state drive in my work laptop is a SanDisk. I've heard they make good solid-state drives. So, but, but unfortunately, the particular model that's in there is like the low-end solid-state drive. 
but it's still leagues faster than any hard drive that I would have been stuck with. Yeah. So whereas the solid state in my desktop and my laptop are like noticeably like you know better performing. So okay, so da, da, da. so you built an abomination out of a house with IoT everything. Now you can watch it burn from the inside. So uh I'm not sure if they've been extinguished, but like two weeks ago, there was a massive wildfire burning in Canada. So this guy, you know, unfortunately his house burned down, but it had like a lot of IOT stuff in it, like a smoke alarm and a mm. camera. So like he, as he was driving away to safety, he could see his house burning down <laughs> from the inside. Which was interesting to see from a... Just what happens in a fire perspective. Yeah. You can see the smoke really came in super thick on the ceiling. And you could understand why they always say that you shouldn't be standing up if there's a fire in the house. You shouldn't have your head in the clouds, so to speak. <laughs> so, um, like, another thing is, you know, since this was a wildfire, that, like, initially, like, you could, you know, see, like, fire, like, well, smoke blowing on the window. And then you could hear, like, things like, knocking up against it, and then, like, at some point, it looks like something, like, actually fell in, and then just the heat from the fire, like, cracked the glass and shattered it more. It's interesting to see what the objects in the room did as uh, they were impacted by the heat and such. So, but unfortunately, by the end, like, there's so much smoke, the uh, camera goes into low-light, uh, black-and-white mode, so, and, like, by that time, like, everything's, like, all smoky and cloudy. But, uh, you know, again, it's bad that this guy lost his house, but I'm kind of good that there's fewer IoT things in the world. <laughs> so, and also, apparently, the video got taken down, so, mm. So, um, it was quite a while ago, more than a year, I think, that we mentioned about HP's The Machine, which is essentially a computer that's built upon memristors. Uh, apparently, the manufacturing isn't uh, going along quite as well as they would have hoped. So, like, they're essentially abandoning, like, the whole memristor-based thing. Apparently, they're just going to stuff a lot of uh, RAM into a server. It sounds like they're still developing the memristors, so they're not giving up on them. They're just saying, okay, it's not realistic for us to base the business model off of these in the short term, but it sounds like they still want to do a proof of concept, almost like a lean, well, they definitely do a lean startup, but almost doing a trial run of the technology without the technology, trying to get a user base and the customers for it, and then it's like, hey, we actually figured it out now, so you guys can use it for real. Uh, but in the meantime, we can have the uh, 3D X-Point stuff, uh thing that Intel's doing. So, uh, let's see. NVIDIA showed off and announced the GTX 1080 and 1070 cards. The 1080 is the first GPU to ship with GDDR5X memory. So this is not the uh, high bandwidth stuff that uh, is like the really exciting uh, stuff that I think AMD actually has in a production card right now. Uh, but uh, apparently this card is actually quite a bit better than that because it's built on a, on a smaller process size. 
So apparently for the past three years, everything's been stuck on 28 nanometers for uh, GPUs, but now they're going to like 14 nanometer FinFET uh, process. They so, cut the size in half. Yes, approximately. So along with like a, like a complete, you know, vast node shrink like that, you get a whole bunch uh, better uh, performance per watt, uh, heat output per, you know, like performance, I guess. Uh, like a whole bunch of stuff that computers should be. So, and of course, it pretty much, uh, you know, wins every benchmark because it's a new high-end card that should be, I think it's actually coming out the very last week of May. The 1070 will follow a week later. So what's the difference from the 70 and the 80? Uh, the 1070 is a little bit cut down. It has the standard GDDR5 memory. So, like, it's sort of like a, uh, like more of a mid-range card. Okay. Of course, I'm not sure if they would actually classify it as a mid-range, but it's, like, a little bit less. So, it doesn't perform as well, but it doesn't cost as much either. So, so, uh, let's go to our favorite, uh, thing of Let's Encrypt. You know, that, uh, free certificate authority. You can get HTTPS on your website for free now. Uh, that the Let's Encrypt client is now has a home on the EFF, and it's called CertBot now, which uh, seems to be a little bit more descriptive of what it does. It does it is a it is a bot that gives your web server certificates? Bot slash just plain instructions, but simplistic instructions. It's uh. I looked up the instructions for doing it on Ubuntu, and it seemed like they basically were just having you install some packages and running a couple commands, and it was encrypting it. And then they even for the renewing your your certificate every ninety days, they said you could just run this command as a cron job, and uh, it'd handle it for you. So it's pretty neat that uh, how they've set it up to be that simple. Uh, assuming no problems arise, that would definitely be like a couple minute install of encryption, which is what what the goal of Let's Encrypt. This makes that goal feasible. Yep. So uh, we haven't we have not talked about uh, Mr. Snowden in a while, or at least his work anyway. So the Intercept uh, is releasing SID Today files, an internal publication of the NSA liberated thanks to Mr. Snowden. So this is, uh, you know, a, you know, internal publication. So there's like going to be installments. So, uh, like they're going to be releasing this over a period of time. And hopefully the idea with this is that, you know, people will read these and find even more bad things that they've been up to. It's, uh, interesting how they were releasing it. It seemed like they were scrubbing all the data and, uh, making sure that nothing bad from a security standpoint got out. So it's good that they at least seem like they're being uh, responsible with the stolen data, as you pointed out, Andrew. Yes. Uh, go into some appreciate. Uh, like, well, today I want to appreciate PZIP, 
which is a, you know, as the name suggests, a file compression utility uh, that, you know, does pretty much every format under the sun. You know, zip, tar, uh, let's see, rar, 7-zip, which, uh, you know, the reason that I prefer this is that, you know, if you ever noticed, like, when you extract files from an archive, that it copies it into a temporary folder first, and then copies those temporary files to the final destination. I hadn't exactly noticed that before, but uh, I could see a program doing that. Yeah. Uh, pzip does none of that. It goes directly to the destination, and, like, that's it. It doesn't, you know, copy anything. It goes, like, straight there. So were you unzipping large files, or is there a specific thing that annoyed you about the copy? I was just curious. It was an extra unneeded step. Let's see. So, like, especially... You know, back when I was, you know, still on a hard drive only that, uh, you know, like, why am I waiting around for, like, essentially uh, two reads uh, to happen uh, along with a write? You know, like, why can't it just, you know, cut out, you know, one of those with it? I'm guessing that the, the uh, unzip program in my bin folder probably just does it directly too, though. Uh, I think so. Like, yeah, on Linux, it's a little bit more sensible like that. Yeah. Uh, but on Windows, not so much. Oh, pzip supports Linux. That's nice. So, but I've never actually had it on Linux. Never had it on Linux. Does it in? Is it in the app kit? Oh, I discovered this the other day. That is the new thing. There was a new version of Ubuntu came out. I saw an article about Ubuntu yeah. and how awesome and great it was because they had this new thing instead of using AppKit, they now have this component install module thing. That's the thing I was supposed to remember. So yes, anyways. Well, I'm glad you remembered it. Ubuntu, new new Ubuntu release. Yeah, uh, 1604. 1604. So, um, anyways, I brought this up because I had to update pzip because apparently 7zip has some vulnerabilities that were recently discovered. And the new version of pzip contains those fixes. So if you have like anything that uses 7-zip, uh, you might want to uh, have updated those uh, pretty soon or shortly or whenever. There we go. Ubuntu 16.04. This would be a dot, dot, oh, four. There we go. It's in the doc now. Uh, but anyways, I, I read an article about the this, I guess they're called snap-ins or snaps. Yeah. And Seem like, uh, I think, oh, that's what the idea The idea was you have different dependencies and they could be different versions. And so you don't want one app needs a certain version and a different app needs a different version. So the idea is you can get the version your thing needs and package it in one thing and have different versions of it installed on the same server. So now you can get the exact dependencies you need. Uh, they were just, uh, kind of releasing this and trying to get buy-in from developers and to get started with it. The article I read, the guy had uh, thought very highly of the snaps and thought that perhaps it was uh, going to take off, even though he said it was duplicated from other projects of... I think that was the big deal with Ubuntu. Anyways, yes, that was the thing I was trying to remember. So, uh, why don't you tell us more about your 3D printer? Oh, yes, the 3D printer. I believe I mentioned it uh, last time, I think, that Mm -hmm. I had ordered one. I I think I just basically got it that night and set it to printing and left my brothers with it. Uh, 
So anyway, since then, I have printed numerous parts, uh, about 98% of those parts being for parts to modify and upgrade the printer, ironically. <laughs> I've printed a Z-brace, so that's like rods that go down from the, the top to the, the bed to kind of strengthen it so it doesn't wiggle. I've printed like nuts for that and feet and all kinds of things. Anyways, uh, I, the most interesting thing I've printed so far has been a alligator. And when I printed it, it actually printed it with the joints intact on the alligator. And so it's curled up on the build plate when you print it. And then you take the whole thing off and you just start wiggling the joints and moving it. And it actually becomes movable. I'm trying to find the thingiverse of it. I have it here someplace. Uh, let's see if I can find it. Maybe I did. No. Can I search for alligator? Maybe. Alligator. So the thing is, I don't think... No, it's not that one. See, the guy didn't even spell it alligator the way I would have spelled it alligator. So I can't find it, unfortunately. I do have... Uh, here, I, I can bring up the uh, the slicer program and load it into the slicer for us here in a second. So yeah, I've been learning about the, the, the slicing program. Isn't just about... Oh, there we go. I can get Chomp... It's Chompy the Alamigator. <laughs> I can find it now. Chompy the Alamigator. But anyways, the slicing, it's more than just about slicing the program. You have to pick like a good build temperature. Ah, here it is. You have to pick a build temperature and... That is one, ro- that is one robotic-looking alligator. It is a robotic-looking alligator. It's awesome, though. It has a joint there on the mouth. Two joints, actually. A joint there. joint on each of the elbows. Looks- the feet rotate. The body rotates. It's got a joint and everything. Yeah, it looks like it's made out of Lego, almost. It is actually designed for Legos. Trouble is, PLA plastic, when it dries, guess what it does? It becomes brittle. It shrinks. And so, what used to fit a Lego on the computer, for <laughs> dimensions, when it's printed, no longer fits. So, I've been uh, experimenting with uh, scaling it up a tiny bit. And with a slicer program I use allows you to just print, like break it out into parts and just print that part. So I literally was printing an elbow out and just the elbow the other day. And I just kept printing it. So it's like that small piece there. So I was just printing it and scaling it up until I got a size that was acceptable. Uh, and that seemed like that worked pretty decent. I was adjusting the temperatures too, just playing with it. There's a lot of messing with the uh, temperatures and settings, even the bed leveling and the height and things thought more than I ever would had thought the 3D printing involved but uh it's it's been been lots of fun so and you also said that uh uh you, you not only made a case for a raspberry pi but you connected the raspberry pi to the printer I did uh and the raspberry pi is now has yeah internet access <laughs> so it has become an iot thing and well, I ordered... no the, no the printer has become the iot not the raspberry the the printer now being attached to the Raspberry, yes. Uh, and I even ordered a camera for the Raspberry, so hopefully I can watch the printer printing eventually here soon-ish and uh, cool. make sure it's not caught on fire or something <laughs> like that. Oh, click the stop button really fast. <laughs> so yeah, that's been uh, lots of fun. So PCB? So in other news, I think I talked about making a PCB the other day. And since then, I have actually made it and wired it up with LEDs and 
plugged it into a volt battery, and it did not melt down, and it didn't do a blinding flash or anything. So that was that was uh, a big step forward in my production of PCBs because I hadn't done them before. And also, too, I took a blacksmithing class last Saturday and made a leaf and half a pair of tongs. So, yes, I've been busy. A half a pair of tongs. Half a pair of tongs. So you just have one tong that you really can't do much with. I actually don't have one tong because there are two students in the class. (laughs) One student made one tong and I made the other tong and they actually fit together at the end. And so he made a rivet and put it to the rivet and uh, so then I gave it to the other guy because, well, no good in having half a pair of tong. (laughs) So I just let him have my other half. So, um, let's see. And last time on the podcast, I mentioned something about creating a page that would essentially show uh, timetables for the Pittsburgh tea. So I actually got around to doing that. And over about 20 hours, uh, I was able to make something kind of functional. Uh, excuse me. So it basically has two parts. Uh, one of them is a Python script that uh, takes a GTFS uh, like format feed that you get from your local transit authority, and you shove that through your uh, this little Python script here, and uh, out comes you know it, it you need to configure it a little bit like you need to select the routes that you want to display on your page, uh, and you can also like exclude stops. Uh, but it goes through the feed, figures out schedules, put puts those uh, stop times into trips and those trips in, into routes. So you have this huge table of times and uh, you can, well, not you can, the script puts that into JSON and spits that out onto an HTML template. So now you can uh, put this HTML file on your phone and like you don't need to pay like 10 bucks for an app or something that will essentially tell you when the bus is coming or if or when the T is coming or whatever. So uh, like I've actually loaded this up on my phone and it works pretty well. So like every 60 seconds, this will update. Do you see that? I did see that. It's super cool. Yeah. So uh like I've uh, essentially color coded this quite a bit, so red means the uh, like it's in the station right now. Uh, yellow means it'll be there in ten minutes. Uh, green is twenty. Blue is thirty. Uh, so, and another thing is that I made the background colors to these tables, like the columns. Uh, like actually a little bit variation there. Mm-hmm. I see all the numbers stand up very nicely from the background. It's not hard to see any of the numbers. So, and uh, I actually stole this from the uh, official uh, Port Authority uh, timetables in that the bold numbers represent times in PM. Mm, okay. So, like, you can actually see some that actually come after midnight down here. I see. They are not bold. So, and you can actually, you know, view the entire schedules for a day, and these things are huge. Which is confusing. Yes, I I like they chart at the tops a lot easier to understand and read. So, what's at the very, very top? I see BLLB, BLS, 
the there's just different specific yeah. routes you've configured. Yes. So uh, BLSV Blue Line South Hills Village BLLB Blue Line Library and then the special shuttle and the red line. So yeah, very nice. Um, and as far as I can tell, they are accurate. Uh, actually, I've noticed that the uh, the T tends to come a few minutes early. Aha. Uh-huh. So uh, I think that's more of a problem of the T because, like, some like uh, there's quite a few times that it will not stop at a stop because no one wants to get off and there's no one standing there to get on. It doesn't waste the time with the schedule has that built in. So if they are early, do they wait or no? They just keep moving. Yeah, generally. Although I've had I've had noticed that you know. Is some stations it'll stop for like a minute or two just to you know catch up or something that way maybe it's not off by too much because there are probably people that depend on it being there at a certain time and then it's like although missed. although ironically that was on a Saturday <laughs> I noticed that <laughs> so, okay so even though I do not ride on the red line I have it here anyway because I was at the uh, Allegheny station, like up at the other end of the line in downtown. And so a blue line car comes in. I'm like, okay, the blue line's here. I get on. And then it says red line Castle Shannon. It's like, wait, this is not my train. Whoops. It changed color. (laughs) (laughs) It changed color. So uh, not unlike the times on my timetable. So... Uh, I had to, like, get off and, like, wait five minutes for the next train to come. But, yeah, it wasn't that bad. So, um, yeah. And theoretically, this can be reconfigured to work with any GTFS feed. And I've put both the script, the CSS, and the template, uh, and along with the, uh, the actual output that I use on the GitHub. Very nice. So I hope that uh, it will be of use to someone. Well, aside like, from aside from myself, seems like no one ever reads my GitHub repositories. The whole private GitHub thing, I never really saw the point to it because I never write anything that awesome that anyone wants to steal. <laughs> so not unlike Apple Music. Yes. So uh, if you'd like to submit feedback to the show, please do so on the Nexus TV. And uh, as mentioned. Do your backup awareness day and back up your timetables. So, um, yeah, it looks like you're going to be uh, fooling around with your uh, 3D printer. Likely. I stay up late a lot of nights lately and have been printing things. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, I've been staying up late a few nights, you know, aside from the uh, the tea time uh, project. Uh, I also... Uh, ordered a passive heat sink for a Pentium 3 processor so I can put it in 20th century, which I have received and installed. And this is probably the quietest PC that has ever come out of the 20th century. That is true. That just crossed my mind. So you, you have a different hard drive bin now that doesn't click, right? Right. And so now your CPU fans, so it's just your power supply fan then pretty much uh yeah and the two other case fans in okay. there because like you saw the one mounted with uh twist ties uh then i also have another one that's sort of like leaning on the cd drive 
So, um, yeah. And I also upgraded to a GeForce 2 graphics card because that came out in 2000, which is technically the 20th century. There's something about how the centuries work that I don't, I don't th- think it still was. So this is this is something that us computer scientists recognize. It's the difference between starting to count from zero and starting to count from one. Yes. So there was a year one, but not a year zero. So and a century means one hundred years. Yes. So the century would start on year one. Yes. So therefore, the twenty-first century would start in the year two thousand and one. Correct? I see what you're saying that makes sense, but I still have to reason it out in my mind. I'm sure I'll reason it out later and then accept it. Yeah, it's it's the difference between counting from zero and counting from one. Okay. So it, it took me a little bit of uh, time to figure it out, but then I'm like, oh yeah, it's sort of like array indexes. So it, I, it eventually came around. I, I get what you're saying. So um, uh, another thing is that you know, since I made a spa, like in the literal sense, a single page application that, uh, you know, that it has like all the JavaScript, all the CSS and all the data that I now have a way forward uh, with uh, that one uh, Bible page, like the offline Bible. Yes. So uh, I believe I have everything working except for the uh, like the paragraph view on it. Let's see it. So nice. I, I had to cut down the books a little bit because it was just getting too unwieldy. So, and it changes the title, changes awesome. the drop down, everything. So what's the paragraph view look like? Okay, so the paragraph view. Doesn't work. Yeah, it totally doesn't work. It's not in the data model. And I'm not sure if it's like something in the JavaScript that's messing mm-hmm. up or what. But you've seen, like, those little paragraph symbols in your Bible, right? Yep. So that's, like, where a new paragraph is supposed to start. Mm-hmm. So, but the thing of it is, that can span several verses. Yes. So, uh, like, when I was reading through the Bible last year, that I found this paragraph view to be very, uh, very uh, conducive to reading. So, you know, it actually looks like paragraphs on a page, just yes, like a normal book. A normal book, yeah. So, like, you know, like you're not, you know, going back and forth uh, as often, and there's no numbers on the side. So, it I found it to be, to be very enjoyable. Uh, so, like, I wanted to go back and make sure that's in there. Uh, so, you know, it, you know, switches books automatically. Very nice. And then once it, once it gets at the end, the next button goes away. Nice. So, and same thing happens with Genesis. It doesn't have a previous button. Yeah. Yeah. See, it, uh, the Bible is a good big data to analyze for programs, because I, I did that, that was like an early project I did, is I did a Bible program. It was more so for, um, my dad printed verses out for the Sunday school class he teaches. He needed certain references, so he'd always print them into Word documents. So basically just put them into your clipboard so you can paste them into a document. But it, it is a, a good good thing to you know target to, target for a spa yeah for a spa it makes sense for that too it's, I, it's super, what you did there is pretty nice i did a lot of stuff with uh like indexes too like i indexed the whole bible and then had a way to search it and stuff 
search wasn't perfect. Like, I made, like, a Firefox-style wonder bar that wasn't... <laughs> well, awesome bar, yeah. that's what it called. A Firefox-style awesome bar that actually wasn't that super awesome. It was okay, but not uh, not amazing. I wonder if I just have now the binaries probably work. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it was kind of fun. What uh, data source did you use? There's some specific... XML that I use. I'm just curious if you use the same. Yeah, I I forget what where exactly it came from, but it was like some kind of XML uh, data source. I know like there's a standard like for like Bible XML. Yes. I don't think I used that one. Okay. Because like that was like way too complicated, and I found something simpler. I'm pretty sure I did use some sort of a standard one, but I can't say if it was the standard one. Uh, let me see if I can pull. I think I left in the original, uh, original XML form. Model display. That's the wrong one. I made a projector program once, and uh, there was supposed to be an integration with this XML Bibles. So that would have it. Yeah, let's see the raw one. Because it's huge, apparently. Because it's the whole Bible in there. Yeah. Information. Some places says I think what it was. Yeah, Zephaniah XML Bible Markup Language Format. Uh, this almost looks like it's it. But, uh, like, I I remember, like, I've, you know, reformatted the uh, file a few times. So, and I think I actually had to get another file that actually has the uh, paragraph marks in it. Okay, so you could... Yeah, yeah so... That, that makes sense. So, I think right now it's like some sort of Frankenstein <laughs> <laughs> XML format. Okay. But, uh... <laughs> Like, I have it loaded into a database table, so it's not okay, exactly XML anymore. Yeah. See, I parse mine on start. Probably not the best, especially for a phone. But I part Because mine's a desktop app. So I parse mine on startup and index the whole thing. So then, it, like, every time it makes the data structure, essentially, at runtime. Which isn't too bad, actually. I threaded it, and so the UI kind of comes up. And about the time you would want to, like, move your mouse and start to do something, it's done processing it. Yeah. So you don't really see the lag of it getting ready to go. It's like you don't even notice it. Yeah, that that's definitely the way to go with that. Uh, another thing uh, is that, you know, since, you know, I'm essentially having a whole Bible in JSON format that, you know, the browser would need to parse all of that on startup. There's no real way around that. So, yeah. That's a very interesting uh, data set you got there. I'm curious to see if I can install it with Wine. <laughs> so, and, uh, well, with that, I think that's it for now. So, have a good one. You too.